Hi, my name is Christy Kramer, and this is Michigan Unsolved, the true crime podcast that is solely focusing on unsolved cases in Michigan. There is no case too small. My goal is to give victims of unsolved crimes the voice they deserve. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Um, I have huge, huge, huge news. I'm not going to go into any crazy detail right now, but um, one of the cases that I covered last week, one of the 40-year-old unsolved murders has been solved. I am completely blown away. One of the things that I have been saying from the beginning of doing this podcast is how amazing would it be if one of these cases got solved now trust me the this case had nothing the solving of this case had nothing to do with this podcast but still hello mind-blowing okay so i'm going to be covering that probably tomorrow so make sure that you come back because I'm going to give you the amazing update that I am so excited to share with you guys. I just wanted to clarify a few more things before, you know, I share that information. So it will be coming, I'm, I think, tomorrow. So definitely make sure that you look for um, the, the huge news. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's get right into today's case. It is one that has stuck with me for a very, very long time. I have been wanting to do this since the very beginning, but I, I honestly, I've been working on this case since day one because it is truly just a heartbreaking case, especially if you're from the Metro Detroit area. There's very few people around here that do not know this case. And it made national headlines. Nancy Grace even covered it. It's it's insane. But um, today's case is the disappearance of two-year-old Bianca Jones in 2011. And uh, it's it's truly heartbreaking. It truly, truly is heartbreaking. Because it's going to make you question so many things. It's going to make you question a father's word, the police and the prosecution's assumptions, and even the testimony, get this, of a dog, okay, an actual living, breathing dog. So there's, there's basically two scenarios to this case. There's the, the word of Bianca's father. And then there's what the police and the prosecution want us to believe. So we're going to jump right in here. And I'm going to tell you about the case as told by Bianca's father. On the morning of December 2nd, 2011, 32-year-old DeAndre Lane put baby Bianca in his car and then loaded up his 15-year-old nephew in the front seat and his 7-year-old daughter in the back seat next to her sister. He dropped off his nephew at his home and then dropped off his daughter at school. 
After that, he headed over to Wayne County Community College in Detroit to handle some paperwork for the new term starting in January because he was going back to school. When he arrived at the college, he realized that he didn't have his bag that had the paperwork in it. So he called his roommate, a woman named Lisa, and she confirmed that the bag was still at the house. So he said, okay, I'm, you know, he had been borrowing Lisa's car and she was going to need it back. So he said, look, I'm going to go over to Bianca's mom's house and pick up some clothes like he had planned. That was the reason he had taken her with him. And then I'll come back, get the bag and then go back to the college. And she was like, cool, no problem. So shortly after leaving the campus, he actually saw an old acquaintance of his that he hadn't seen in years. And he rolled down the window to say, hey, and this man's name was Rico Blackwell. And Bianca's mom is named Banika Jones. So that you might get those confused a little bit. Um, Bianca often was called Bibi by her family. And Benico was actually called Pinky, but I'm going to try to stick with their actual names. So Benica and DeAndre both knew this man, Rico Blackwell. So they chatted for a minute, but DeAndre was in a rush. So he did point out, he said, hey, you know, this is me and uh, Benica's baby girl back here. And, you know, Rico kind of wa- was fishing for a ride but DeAndre was like look I'm really in a hurry he needed to get the car back to Lisa so he said why don't you give me your number so Rico gave him his number he called it really quick it was like a 14 second phone call at 8:55. okay and that way Rico would have his number in his phone at that point he started to drive the approximate five miles to Benica's house so he could go and pick up the clothes for Bianca. There's a lot of Wayne County Community College is kind of like in the downtown area. So there's a lot of like twist, not twists and turns, but a lot of different streets he kind of had to cut through to get to the next main road, which would have been on uh, Grand Boulevard. So when he turned on to Grand Boulevard, a he was not very far from Benica's house but a small red sedan started like honking their horn to get his attention and they were telling him that like yelling at him that his back lights were out and he's like oh man this isn't you know he, he may he pulled over now DeAndre does admit this was a grave mistake he should have continued to his destination and then checked but he pulled the car over to check the lights. He gets out of the car and walks to the back of the car. And at this point, the small red sedan pulled in behind him. And as he's inspecting the lights of the car, um, a man from the passenger seat of the car gets out. Now, there were two men. There was a man in the passenger seat and a man in the driver's seat. The man in the driver's seat had a ski mask on. Now, DeAndre says that he didn't notice this until after they had pulled in behind him. Because I'm assuming he wouldn't have stopped if he had noticed that the guy had a ski mask on. But um, he 
the passenger got out of the car and he had a gun and he approached DeAndre with the gun. And the man said, get the fuck um, away from the car. And DeAndre says, wait, my baby's in the backseat. Let me get her out. And the man just kept saying, get the fuck away from the car and waving this gun in DeAndre's face. And the man made it to the driver's side door and climbed in the car and drove away. And then the red sedan followed soon after. DeAndre is completely beside himself at this point. He takes off running after the cars and he chased them as long as he could. But then he eventually lost sight of the cars, including his baby girl. Now, DeAndre said at this point he was like completely turned around and he had no idea how far he had been running or really where he was even at. And he doesn't even have much memory from this point on. But at some point he managed to get back to Banika's house. Now, at this at this time, there hadn't been much time had passed. OK, so as I said, he called Rico's cell phone, according to cell records, at 8.55 a.m. And he was banging on the door of his, of Banika's house, according to her family, between 9 and 9.15. So only a few minutes, you know, no more than like 20 minutes had transpired at this point. So he's banging on the house, screaming. And finally, somebody comes downstairs and they open the door and they find him a complete mess, crying and screaming, saying that they got her. They got her. And it took them a while to actually calm him down enough to find out what happened. And they thought that he had already called 911 and then they realized that he hadn't. So at 947, they called 911. And it was actually a woman named Mary. She was the girlfriend of Banika's brother. She lived there in the house with Banika, her mother, and Banika's brother, and, of course, Bianca. At that point, Bianca had been staying with her father for approximately two weeks or so, and she was going to be staying with him through Christmas. So... Bianca, I'm sorry, Benika did have full custody of her, but she was trying to find work. Remember, this was in 2011. The economic crisis was at one of its worst points. The unemployment rate in Detroit was so high. You know, it was just a really sad situation. Violent crime was up. I lived in the city at that point. I know how bad it was. And, um, you know, it's really heartbreaking the 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 way the city turned during the economic crisis but um so they like i said they called um 911 at 9:47 a.m. and the police were dispatched immediately to the location on Custer Street which is where um DeAndre was at that time so that was DeAndre's version of events. Okay. And now I'm going to tell you the police's version of events. On the evening of December 1st, two-year-old Bianca Jones wet her bed. And in the fit of rage, her father, DeAndre, beat her to death with a stick. 
The next morning, he dressed her corpse, put it on the couch next to his 15-year-old nephew while he got his two other daughters up for school and made breakfast. He then carried his dead daughter to the car, loaded loaded her in, and then got his nephew and his seven-year-old daughter in the car. He then dropped off the two older children and then drove to an incinerator within the city of Detroit and disposed of Bianca's body. Then he drove to Wayne County Community College where he ran into Rico Blackwell. According to testimony given by Rico, the only thing in the back seat of DeAndre's car was a bunch of garbage bags. Then he dumped the car and walked to Benika's house claiming he'd been carjacked. That was the police's version of events. Now let's talk about the car. The car was found at 1015, about half a mile away from Benika's house. As I said, the, the 911 call came in at 747. They immediately dispatched police, and prior to police even arriving at home, at the home, they a description of the car was sent out. So the police were looking for the car prior to even arriving at the house. Okay, so they found it really quick. And um, the car had been parked in an alley, the doors were open, and the car was running with the keys still in the ignition. Bianca's car seat and her blanket were in the back seat, but sadly Bianca was not. The alley was covered in snow and there were shoe prints leading away from the car. Also, no trash bags were found in the back seat of the car, only Bianca's car seat. Obviously, as I just mentioned, this contradicts the testimony of Rico Blackwell. When the car was found, the police's focus began to change. They believed that carjackers would have left Bianca in the car, and they have stated on multiple occasions it was the car that changed their focus to DeAndre. According to DeAndre's defense attorney, police brought in search dogs. The dogs led them from the car to an apartment building nearby where they located a ski mask, but they did not feel that it was relevant to the investigation so it was not taken into evidence. Shortly after the 911 call was made, Benika was also called. She was in class and was called to come home. When she arrived, cop cars and news vehicles filled her street. She was taken away by police immediately and was not permitted to talk to her family to find out exactly what was going on. All she knew was that her daughter was missing. DeAndre was taken into custody and was questioned for over 24 hours and given a polygraph almost immediately. And it came back that there were, that it was a deceptive polygraph. But as his defense attorney states, um, the polygraph was given during an intense event. And that is like the worst time to give a polygraph. And they would not tell them, you know, where the, um, the word, uh, oh, I can't even think, deceptive. <laughs> they couldn't tell them, like, where the deception was coming from. They, you know, where was it that, you know, even DeAndre said in an interview that he gave, um, did he 
when they asked him his name. Is that what came up deceptive? You know, what came up deceptive? And when he was asked by another podcaster in an interview, you know, would you take another polygraph? And he said, honestly, I don't know, because he doesn't know if he could trust it. And you can't really fault him for that. So um, the police really began to focus on DeAndre. It, I have not found any sources that, that state there was any kind of investigation done of the actual carjacking. It seems to be that the moment that car was found, the carjacking theory just went out the window. So you're talking in about 30 minutes, the investigation switched from a car, a possible carjacking and kidnapping to the father killed his daughter. Okay, so police definitely seem to focus on the fact that DeAndre had seven children by seven different women. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. Does this make him a killer? No. Does this make him a bad father? No. Does this make him a bad man? No. Bianca actually stated in one interview that I saw that um, he, he wasn't a great boyfriend, you know, he obviously, I mean, he's got two two-year-old daughters, Bianca and his girlfriend at the time of Bianca's disappearance, that he was actually living with her, they also had a two-year-old daughter. So he had two two-year-old children at one time. So that just goes to show you that, yeah, he probably wasn't the best boyfriend, but every single one of his children state that he was an amazing father. All of the mothers state that he was an amazing father and totally cared about his children. The police also focused on the fact that he had a criminal record. When he was in his mid-20s, he struggled to find work like a lot of people in Detroit at that time. And he made a bad choice. He started to deal drugs and that landed him in jail for four years. Uh, when he got out, he decided that he wanted to do better and wanted to be a role model for his children. So he worked odd jobs because with a record, it's almost impossible to get an actual job. He worked a lot of odd jobs. He worked as a barber. He did um, like construction work just so that he could support his family. And even Benika commented at one time that it wasn't the money that these children necessarily needed it was their father and one of the ways that he truly supported his families was by giving his time to his children and that was very important to a lot of um, the mothers as well as his children he was also going back to school because he wanted again to do better and he he gave an interview where he stated that something that was very important to him was education and he wanted his children to know the importance of education so that was another reason he wanted to go back to school was because he wanted to be an educator you know and really help other kids not choose the way that he did so as i mentioned there there's a lot of uncertainty in this case there was no investigation into the actual carjacking. While they had DeAndre in custody, he gave them permission to search his home. They took, they actually called in a cadaver dog from England. Why they did not feel 
that any of the cadaver dogs in America were good enough. Um, but they actually called in a cadaver dog from England to bring into the house. And they brought him into the house. They, uh, the dog hit on a closet in the bedroom. And he hit on the car, the trunk of the car, and Bianca's car seat. Now, the defense attorney even states, you know, that all the dog did was give a reaction to these items. Generally speaking, when a cadaver dog is used in an investigation, it has to be linked to some kind of physical evidence. But here's the kicker. No physical evidence, none was ever found. So DeAndre does not dispute the fact that he did spank his children. Do I think that spanking a two-year-old for wetting the bed is ridiculous? Oh my God, yes. Beyond ridiculous. I personally grew up where, you know, getting spanked was a definite thing. I, I think because of the way that I was brought up, I did not, I chose not to spank my child. Um, but my parents had no issue with it. Actually, I don't think it was my dad so much, but more so my mom. My mom had no issue with spanking whatsoever. And my mom used a belt. Okay. And my dad was a big guy and he had very thick leather belts. It was not fun. DeAndre, on the other hand, had a stick. Okay. And if you know anything about, um, spankings, you know, some people don't use their hand. He actually had a spanking stick and it was not a big stick by any means. It was, it was, I've seen the pictures. I've seen the stick on multiple occasions. It, it was a stick and on the end of it had like duct tape or maybe electrical tape wrapped on it. So he would use that and he'd, you know, pop their butts a couple of times, you know, and he said, what he would do is he'd smack their bottom with the stick and then tell them, is that where you're supposed to potty? And they would say no. And he'd take them to the bathroom and say, this is where you're supposed to go. I get that. You know, I can't tell you how many times um, I probably did not have the best method of potty training my son. My thought process was you wet your, you wet your pants, you're going to sit in it for a good 20 minutes. And like I said, probably not the best thing, but that's what I chose to do. And let me tell you, he did not wet himself much after that. But some people could take that as child abuse. You know, now he's 18 and, you know, that's not like a lifelong trauma or anything. Okay. It's just something that it, it's, it's what works for him. If this is what works for DeAndre, kids, then that's what worked. Um, none of the moms and none of his older children have ever claimed any kind of abuse whatsoever. There was never any like CPS calls made or anything like that. So it, it just really bothers me that the police jumped 
straight to child abuse just because he spanked his children. Now, the prosecution, and I, I know I brought up the prosecution before. Let me just tell you now that DeAndre was charged with first degree felony murder and first degree child abuse. I will also tell you that he was convicted on both and he is serving a life sentence without parole. I will also tell you that Bianca has never been found. So they literally, he was convicted essentially off of the testimony of the cadaver dog. Now, as I mentioned, the cadaver dog hit on the bedroom closet. It hit on the car, the trunk of the car and the the back seat and Bianca's car seat. Now, let's remember this. During the during the trial, the prosecution stated this. Now, I watched I literally watched this. I watched a portion of the trial and the video I had to laugh. I honest to goodness had to laugh. The prosecution held up his spanking stick, which was I I don't even know how to ex- explain it. It was not a very big stick. It was maybe about a, a foot long with this duct tape wrapped on the end. Okay. He didn't want to hit his kids with a piece of wood. You know, he didn't want them to get splinters or get hurt. I mean, yeah. Did he want it to sting? That's kind of the whole purpose of a spanking, right? The prosecution stated he acted like a punk when he took that stick and beat that baby until she was lifeless and bleeding and he wasn't man enough to face what he did. That was a direct quote from the prosecutor during the trial. The stick that she was holding in her hand, the stick that they claimed that he beat Bianca with until she was lifeless and bleeding had no traces of blood whatsoever. It did have DeAndre's DNA, but it did not have Bianca's. Do you find that interesting? You know, I am not here to tell you that he is innocent or guilty. I I honestly don't know what to think. But they literally found this man guilty based on the testimony of a dog. The cadaver dog only, I believe... Only six, from what I had read, only six cases have ever been convicted based on the testimony of, okay, you're not, the testimony is not coming from the dog, it's coming from the dog's handler. But generally speaking, in order for that testimony to be received and used for prosecution purposes, there has to be physical evidence to back it up. There was literally none. There was no body. There was no blood. There's no crime scene. There was a drop of blood. Okay, get this one. On this child's pillow. A trace amount of blood on her pillow that was mixed with saliva. Her mother also testifies that her daughter was teething at that time. Any parent out there, especially with those two-year-old molars, you know what that's like. Yes, when teeth break through, they are going to bleed. She bled 
from her tooth, which is why there was trace amounts of blood mixed with saliva. There was a spot on her pillow, not a bloody mess. She was also spanked in the same room with her seven-year-old sister and her two-year-old sister. Okay, and according to prosecution, according to the prosecution, DeAndre put her lifeless body either in the closet or back in bed with his other daughter. Just, it doesn't make sense. I, I don't know if I believe that he was carjacked because there's some things about that that don't make sense too. But another thing that DeAndre says is that the shoe prints that were in the snow leading from the car were that of a boot where DeAndre was wearing gym shoes because he wasn't, even though it was a snowy day, he wasn't planning on being outside for very long. So he wore shoes. He wore regular gym shoes. The tracks leading from the car were not gym shoe tracks. So again, that doesn't make sense. Also, retired police officer Nikki Gibbs She's retired now, but she was not at the time. She was on patrol and she was called, her and her partner were called to a house because of like a domestic disturbance kind of thing. I don't think it was a fight in the front yard or something. And when they got there, uh, they were talking to a lady at the front door and a little girl, approximately two years old, comes out of one of the rooms and walks up to the front door and, uh, Nikki asked the woman, the little girl's name, and the woman says, Dia, Dia Dow. And Nikki thought to herself, that's very strange who mispronounces their child's name. So she said the next day she was looking at her computer and she saw this picture of Bianca. And she knew there was a missing child, but didn't really, she wasn't working the case. So her picture wasn't really there in the forethought of her mind. But when she saw the picture the next day, she said, that's a little girl that I saw. So she went to the detectives that were managing the case and the detectives flat out told her she's dead. Her father did it and they refused to investigate. So a few months later, um, there was a court appointed private investigator uh, named Michael Salisbury, and he went to the house to investigate and he saw a little two year old child and he said that the child had been dressed up as a boy and the eyebrows were shaven off. And one of the most descriptive things about Bianca was that she had these cute, bushy little eyebrows and it was a very distinctive look for her because, you know, if you've ever seen a little two-year-old, they don't generally have bushy eyebrows. Bianca had the most adorable little bushy eyebrows and they had been shaven off. So he, and he believes 100% that was Bianca at that house. So he did report it to some friends of his who were police officers and they went to investigate, but that child was no longer at that house. And since then, the people that were living in the house at that time have since moved and nobody has been able to locate them. But again, police seem to push that off. And like I said, you know, Nikki testified 
that she was told the father did it, she's dead. One of the things that I found interesting was that the police believe that DeAndre took her to the incinerator. You cannot just drive up to the to the incinerator. This is, I believe it's on the property of the Detroit Public Works. There is um, security cameras everywhere. There's guards. You can't just drive up in as a citizen and throw something in. You definitely can't throw the body of a child in. And at that point, they would have already been opened. So, you know, like there would have been people there working. It wasn't like it was the middle of the night. This was daylight hours. So it definitely doesn't make sense to me that she was dumped in the, the incinerator. So in that case, if that part of the police's theory doesn't work, then where is she? And I think that is the biggest question that anybody has is where is Bianca? Like if, if he killed her, then where is her body? Now, I know I haven't mentioned Benika very often, but Benika firmly, and they are not together whatsoever, obviously, because DeAndre's in jail, but they have known each other. Benika and DeAndre have known each other since Benika was 12 years old. And according to an interview that I heard her give, she met DeAndre shortly after his mother passed away. So she said that she had seen him at his worst and they have been friends for years. I mean, obviously like she was, I believe she was about the same age as DeAndre. He was 32 when Bianca went missing. I know she was almost 30 when she got pregnant with Bianca. So she was probably about 32 as well. So they have known each other for 20 years. And like she said, she has seen him at his worst and at his best. And she firmly believes that he is telling the truth and that her daughter is still alive out there. And that, to me, breaks my heart that this poor mother, honest to goodness, believes that her baby is still out there. Now, I did tell you the police's theory behind what happened in order for the police's theory to to work then as i said he would have killed her in the middle of the night dressed her dead body and then put it on the couch the next morning while he got the rest of the kids up and ready for school however his 15 year old nephew and i'm not going to name him because he was a minor at the time but his 15-year-old nephew testified that she was awake and looking around that morning. His 15-year-old nephew testified. Now, his 7-year-old daughter also testified. She gave a much different statement. Um, she states that DeAndre put Bianca in her car seat in the house, covered her up, and then carried her car seat out to the car. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Because according to his nephew, himself, and his girlfriend, he 
carried her outside and put her in the car and put her in the car seat. Bianca did not have an infant car seat. She was two years old. She had a big, full-blown car seat. Okay. And she's two. She's going to weigh, you know, she's not going to be 15 pounds. Okay. So in my mind, there's no way that he's going to be able to carry without struggling this full car seat with a two-year-old child in it out to the car. You, you don't see that. You carry one or the other at a time. You don't carry both. Okay. And that's the testimony that his seven-year-old daughter gave. And they are focusing on this testimony. They also testified that, uh, De- she also testified that DeAndre spanked her sister. And then, uh, there was something I saw about her panties being put into her mouth. I don't know if that was supposed to be on that particular occasion or on a different occasion, but I also read that the seven-year-old daughter was interviewed by police by herself without a guardian present. So I don't know how true that is, but that is something that I read that I wanted to point out that I find that that statement about the panties being put in her mouth to me seems very erroneous and the car seat part doesn't make sense. I believe, I do not believe that occurred. That just, as a parent, you don't do that. You, you take the, you, the car seats in the car, you put the child in the car seat, unless it's an infant car seat, but not the big massive car seats. It just doesn't make sense. So that's just something to think about. Um, there were multiple, uh, after Nikki Gibbs gave her testimony about seeing Bianca, she does state that um, basically the police department started to kind of turn against her. She retired not too long after. So these are just, there's a lot of uh, just so many inconsistencies. And I'll be honest with you, there's, there's another podcast, it's called Killer Jeans, and I believe they did a five-part series on this case, and they interviewed uh, both DeAndre in prison and Benika Jones. If you have an opportunity, it is a very lengthy podcast, I think it's just short of five hours, between four and five hours long, it's broke up into, I believe, five parts. It's amazing because I listened to this thing and I literally cried. Now I am, like I said, I don't want to sit here and give you my opinion because I honestly don't know what that is. I I know there are things that just don't add up. Like how do you, how do you, if I was on that jury, there's no way that I could convict based on the testimony of a cadaver dog and his handler. There's nobody. There's literally no crime scene. Oh, that was the other thing. Okay. So before I forget, they, when the police went in there the first time, 
they were they were given the okay to go in there. Like DeAndre said, I have nothing to hide. There's no reason for me not to let you go in there. Go in, go in there, see what you can find. So they had approval. They walked right in. They took the cadaver dog in. They did their search. The second time they went in the house, this is according to DeAndre's defense attorney in an interview that I saw him give. I believe it was with Channel 7. He gave shortly after they released DeAndre prior to his actual arrest. They broke in the door, went in with guns drawn, and they they knew the house was empty because the police had been watching the house nonstop. So they broke in the front door, they went in with guns drawn, and they had cameras, like video cameras. What was the purpose of this? You'd already gone in there. You'd already searched. You'd already collected evidence. And you already brought the dogs in. But now you're going to go in there with the show. So there's, again, a lot of things just don't add up. But I would really like to know where the crime scene was. Where was the blood on the stick? It. Why are these questions not being asked during the trial is beyond me. I definitely feel like... Some things should have been brought up during the trial by the defense that maybe weren't. Like, was the question of where's the blood on the stick? Where's the DNA on the stick? Where is the crime scene? Were these questions asked? I don't know. I really don't know. But those are questions that haunt me because it just, there's just so much left unsaid. And, um... I don't know. I, I, I really feel like when we go back and think about the case of Dewan Sims and there were no charges filed against Dewana Harris, but to me, there seems to be more evidence against Dewana Harris than there were, than there was against DeAndre. And it seems to me that DeAndre Lane was only brought up as a as the killer because of his past. He was a bad person because he had seven different children by seven people. Look, my child's, my child's father is not involved in his life. If I, if I had more children, so what? So what? People make mistakes. People make so many, not that his children were a mistake. My child's not a mistake. His children aren't a mistake. But yeah, selling drugs was a mistake. Nobody's saying that. But like he said, he's never, I mean, he was, I think at one point he was charged with um, maybe like a and e or something like that. It, it, it's, how do you go from, from selling drugs to killing your child? It, there's, it's just such a leap. And that just doesn't make sense to me. And I, trust me, like I could talk about this for hours because there's just so many parts to this that just don't make sense. But I do think the biggest question is, is where is this child? And unfortunately, DeAndre did file for an appeal, which was denied. 
again, based on the uh, testimony of the dog handler. And um, no investigation was ever done that I can find into the actual carjacking itself. So, you know, take that into consideration. Again, I am not saying he's innocent. I'm not saying he's guilty. But this baby is somewhere. Whether or not she's alive or dead, she's somewhere. And that is, that is the biggest question is where is little Bianca? So, I... I really struggled with this one. I, I've been working on this one for so long and I really didn't know really how to bring this to your, how, how to tell the story. How do I, there's just so, so many parts to it that just, that just don't make any sense. And I'm just going to go check my notes super, super quick here because I just want to make sure that, um, I have everything that I wanted to tell you. There was a post, but it really stuck with me. Um, it said, a good prediction of the future is by looking at the past. I'm, I'm sorry. That to me is utter ridiculousness. If anything, I think looking at your past and looking at how you want to change your future is more important. And the fact that DeAndre wanted to better his life for his children speaks more volumes than anything else. There was a statement when I, I actually watched some of the interrogation and uh, there was a couple of things that I wanted to point out. So one of the investigators during the interrogation stated to DeAndre, we've been doing this for 24 hours and the things that you have said have not been verified one bit. Initially, we believed you. We did until the case was investigated. And it's like, wait a minute, Dre's full of shit. The, the detective said this during the investigation. Now remind you, this is literally within 24 hours, if not less from the time that Bianca went missing. What investigation? They literally did not investigate once that car was found. Once the car was found, they made the decision that he was the person responsible. So yeah, things may not have added up completely, but they did not investigate. And that's just something that I really want you to to think about and um, one of the things that his defense attorney said um, the police they, they did discover shortly after they brought him in that he had an outstanding warrant for, vi for violating a protective order taken out by his ex-wife which DeAndre claims was a mistake which I don't know, I haven't found any details about that protective order. But 
Terry Johnson, who is his DeAndre's defense attorney, states that as far as I'm concerned, the police at that point had really made up their mind. You're our guy and we're going to get you. And that honestly, to me, seems the truth. And one of the detectives during the interrogation said, nobody jacked you for that fucking car. You walked away from the car and was like, what the fuck happened? What the fuck do I do? What the fuck do I say? Seriously? Um, DeAndre stated during the interrogation, they took my child. This is what happened. And you have to understand this. They took my child. I've tried to help as much as I can, but I'm not going to sit here and let you accuse me of something. I didn't do anything with my baby. I didn't do anything with my child. Now, like I said, I watched this. Um, I watched this interview, this interrogation, and I listened to the way that these police officers spoke so derogatory towards him and accused him of killing his baby. And yes, he got upset. He got very heated and extremely upset. And you can't really blame him for that. When they realized that Bianca was one of just seven children that he fathered with seven different women, Terry Johnson, again, who was his defense attorney, stated, so when they put all of this together, you start to make a moral decision. And I really think that had a lot to do with it. I really believe that um, they made their decision based on the fact that he was a quote unquote ladies man and a quote unquote drug dealer with a criminal past. But I don't think that that alone is enough to convict somebody on first degree felony murder and first degree child abuse, especially with no evidence. So I, I've essentially given you everything that I could possibly find. Um, I, I didn't name names because I don't think that those are necessary. Like I said, I'm not going to say whether or not I believe that he's guilty or innocent. I definitely don't think that he's without fault. But um, my biggest issue is the fact that a man was convicted and sent to prison for life without the possibility of a parole because a cadaver dog's handler said that the dog hit on specific spots. Yes, I understand this was a jury trial and the jury found him guilty, but I really believe that we have to, we have to take a look at that, you know, and, and really step back and think, about how much was tried prior to the trial in the media. I will tell you, I remember very clearly this uh, act, because it actually honestly popped up in my time hop on Facebook the other day. As the investigation was going and Benika had gotten on the news and she had pleaded for the return of her daughter she still believed her daughter is out there. Her daughter, she still today believes her daughter is out there. But I was so adamant that I believed that he was guilty and that this father killed his child. But I didn't know. I only knew what was in the media. So when they picked this jury, 
this jury has already seen all of the news reports, has already seen the police statements, has already seen all this information. They assume what the news and what the police are saying is the truth. But when you really look at it, I believe that he beat his daughter to death. And, but there's no blood. There was no, there was no blood in that house. How do you beat a child to death with no blood? They did not say that he strangled her. They did not say that he broke her neck. They said, the prosecution said that he, he beat his daughter with that stick until she was lifeless and bleeding. But there was no blood on that stick. It had not been cleaned because his DNA was still on it. Please explain to me, where is the crime scene? Where is the blood? And then tell me that he killed his daughter. Just something to think about. So with that, um, as a reminder, um, in the next day or so, I will be posting an update to one of last week's cases um, that has been solved. And I... I am so happy to be able to, I mean, unfortunately it, you know, it is a murder case. So the, you know, the, uh, the victim is going to get their justice, but, uh, I would love to be able to come to you one day and tell you that the case of Bianca Jones has been solved and that Bianca has been found one way or the other, because just because, uh, Deandre was convicted of his daughter's death does not mean that this isn't on that this is a solved case. I'm sorry, it's not. Because until that child is either given back to her mother or given back to the earth so that she can be laid to rest, um, that case is still unsolved. So until next time, um, stay safe out there. And um, I do plan on doing a special episode coming up soon to uh, kind of remind everyone about what to do, you know, kind of like the pre- kind of like a pre-prep of God forbid somebody goes missing or, you know, just sudden death of somebody, just the kind of the things that you need to think about. Um, I lost a, one of my best friends last year and unfortunately her husband passed away a few months later and I, I had a long conversation with their son and just some of the things that, you know, just didn't, some of the things you would think would have been taken care of. You, some people don't like to think about death. You really don't like to think about death. And there's a lot of things that out there that you need to, you need to prepare for whether or not it's just writing down all your passwords so that your loved ones can have they don't have to go searching for things or putting all your paperwork in one spot or things like that. So I I really want to devote, I'm not going to take away a weekly episode for that, but I'm going to do a bonus episode kind of maybe just like a 10 minute list of all the things that you should really think about um, getting prepared just because you you just never know. So just thought I'd put that out there. Um, Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Michigan Unsolved Facebook group. Um, please join, tell your friends, (laughs) the more, the more listeners, the better, because as I said, we want to get these stories out there and get these people justice. So, okay. 
Until next time, I'll see y'all later. Bye-bye.